phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio with me, your host, Floyd. So, this week, although a little behind schedule, we were watching Charlie X, which is episode 3 of the original series, season 1. And this episode is one of those strange ones that just... Sometimes Star Trek likes to lean into the more almost fantasy side of science fiction, or fantasy side of fiction, rather than the science, sci-fi side that you come to expect. Like, I would say in Star Trek there is probably close to a third of the episodes, especially in the early show, had to do with these like almost godlike beings or these strange telepathic beings or beings of energy, usually some kind of misunderstood or hard to handle alien that's just that little bit above what the regular humanoid alien or their technology is able to deal with. Which they always have to deal with in other ways, but this is very much one of those episodes and I was going to say I think it's the first one, but I guess if you include the pilot, that was sort of a telepathy thing, although that one was a little bit different. But anyway, so Charlie... So, you know, this is a typical episode, like I said, of the overpowered alien, well, overpowered in some sense, but, you know, except this one's a little bit different. Charlie is a boy of 17 years old, so he's a, you know, a boy. He's almost an adult, but he's quite young. And he, if you're anything like me, you know, I grew up watching a lot of those shows, documentaries about kids that grew up, like, raised by dogs. You know, those kids that just get lost in the woods and grow up with animals or, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, have abusive or just neglectful parents or adoptees, what, whoever it is. They just sort of leave them there. And they end up becoming these almost wild children where they hang out with dogs and they bark and they eat things they probably shouldn't eat and have no social skills, like, at all. And he's kind of that kid. He is sort of a take on that story mixed with the very overpowered aliens. Because what happened to him, right, is that he was on a freighter 14 years before this, remember? So he's 17 now. So he was a very young boy when this first happened. And basically, he's the only survivor of a shuttle crash. So presumably his parents and everyone else that were crewed there died. And these aliens, the Thasians, they're called. Which... We overhear Kirk at the start of the episode, they're sort of talking about the Thasians and how... Well, it's actually Dr. McCoy and Spock that are debating about the Thasians and Kirk sort of intervenes a little with his own opinion about whether the Thasians even exist, because supposedly the, it's more of a rumour as to whether they're there. They're meant to have these powers to, like, not transcend, but transmutate, that's the word, transmutate one item to another. Kind of like the replicators are meant to do later on, but... You know, a little different, and it's meant to be, like, their ability. They do a lot of that mental sort of stuff that we see Charlie doing, but they're, again, they're a rumour. No one's had confirmed contact in Starfleet. So, Charlie, what they've gotten word at the start of the episode, we're told that a cargo ship, or a scout ship, I can't remember exactly what they call it, but a ship called the Antares, that only has a 20-man crew, has had this kid Charlie on board that they've rescued from... Oh, I think I wrote it down. No, apparently I didn't actually write it down. But anyway, he was on a planet that basically the Doctor and Spock were going back and forth about 
whether it was even possible for this kid to have survived there for 14 years on his own. Because as they both point out, the shuttle that he was on, even if all of the food supply that would have been on it had survived and he was on his own, it would have only lasted him maybe 12 months. So what did he do for the other 13 years? And Dr. McCoy points out, like, you know, the planet does have some edible food, edible foods and plants and things. And Spock says, barely. And when he says barely, like, that probably means the planet is hardly, like, habitable. A kid on his own, there wouldn't be just an abundance of edible things. Probably the sort of planet that, like, a survivor or someone with, like, survival training, like a soldier or something, might do okay on. But your average person, if they were just dumped there, especially at, like, four or five years old, is not going to survive. And they go back and forth, and Spock's trying to say that the Thasians must be real, it's more likely that they're there helping them. Oh no, sorry, that's McCoy is trying to say that, that the Thasians must have helped him, while Spock is the one sitting on the other side, back and forth about it. But anyway, turns out that actually was the truth, the Thasians, these powerful aliens, were helping the child all those years. And he comes on the ship, and we meet very, very briefly, mind you, it's like the episode starts with the Antarans coming... Captain Ramart and Navigator Tom Nellis. I don't know why they felt the need to give us names considering how minor these characters were, but they did. And they introduce us to Charlie Evans, who is Charlie. The whole episode is about this young boy with the powers. And immediately, it's obvious that this kid, you know, because of his backstory, you sort of try and give him some leeway. Like, yeah, he's just confused. Society has a lot of social rules. It can be confusing even when you live in it, let alone if you were isolated trying to understand language. So... There's a couple of points where he gets confused about language or he gets annoyed at certain things that he says wrong and it is none of it's too major it's more just minor things that you'd expect now where it gets a little bit creepy with him is when he goes to leave the room yeoman ran comes in and she's basically given the job to escort him to his quarters to let him go and see around the ship and stuff and he has an immediate reaction of like he sees kirk as the authority figure and he seems to not want to leave his side at first and then he sort of looks at Yeoman Ran, and it's the first time he's ever seen a woman. Because he turns to Kirk, he's like, is this a girl? And he immediately, like, as 17-year-olds do, you know, he has a crush on her. Immediately, he's, like, infatuated with her. He thinks she's beautiful, he wants trying to... Not flirt, he's not immediately trying to flirt, but he's, like, interested in her. And it's very clear that it's interested in more than a casual way, which is a little creepy for... We don't really get an age of what Yeoman Rand's meant to be at this point, but, like, I always got the feeling she's meant to be late 20s, at least early 30s. Like, she's not a young girl just out of the academy. She is a yeoman. She's not an ensign. So, you know, it's a little creepy when this boy, who's barely considered an adult in most parts of the world, is now hitting on her, especially considering the fact that she is an officer in Starfleet and he has been basically a a lonely child with no social skills, so... Even if she was interested, that's a whole weird thing that just probably isn't allowed by a bunch of different rules. But, like, at first it's not too important. Nothing really goes on. He gives her perfume that she really likes, that he seems to just make out of nowhere with his mind, which is one of the first signs that he actually does have powers. But, yeah, he also does a cool card trick at one point where he's, like, doing some basic magic tricks, but at one point he flips the card over. Instead of having, like, the king and jack and all that, it's got pictures of Yeoman Rand which is kind of creepy but then he kind of I gotta got say it's pretty nice the way he flips the cards back over and distracts everyone and then when they come back her picture's gone 
So I think most of them, even Yeoman Ren herself at that point, is like trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's like, that's creepy, but maybe I was imagining it. There's also a really weird scene in that room. Well, that room, I say. I haven't even said what room they're in. It's like the dining room sort of thing. It's the cafeteria is probably more more inaccurate to what it is. There's a scene in there earlier where Uhura was singing and Spock was playing the instrument, but I th that scene was weird to me. Like Uhura is a decent singer. The instrument sounded nice, but it just felt like that really added nothing to the episode and it literally went on for like 4 minutes. They did an entire song which maybe it's just me, I don't really like musicals, but that just I didn't like that scene really. But yeah, there a few other things happen with the kid. Like at one, basically the entire episode is around this child having a mental struggle for authority with Kirk, because he wants everyone to like him, like every teenager. But he doesn't have the social skills, and he doesn't have the control. Well, he does have control over his powers, just not over his emotions or his social skills, which leads to him abusing his powers and people around him. Kirk constantly sort of tells him, "No, you can't do that." Like. The very first incident where uh, Kirk actually has to step in and try and talk to him is more awkward than actually like confrontational because Charlie, while he's exploring, he sees two guys, we presume they're engineers, they're like passing a pipe down through floors, or between decks I guess, and he watches them and he seems to think it's pretty cool and he follows them down one of the tubes, or one of the maintenance tunnels or tubes, whatever they're called at this point down to the next floor and you know being two working guys they're busy they got their hands full i'm not really like this but some guys are i have friends like this you know he just turns around and it's just like a slap on the shoulder or slap on the back except with these two it's you know in particular he says oh, i'll see you in the cafeteria he gives him a slap on the ass as he's walking out it's like a friendly thing but charlie sees that and you know understandably he doesn't really get social rules like we were saying so he sees Yeoman Ren not long after this and says that he would like to talk to her longer and she tells him what time she's going to be finishing her shift and that if he'd like they could talk after then. And he says, oh, sounds like fun. And then he slaps her ass and goes to walk off and Kirk has to be... Like, she goes to Kirk and sort of just says, you know, you need to explain to him why that's wrong as, as the captain and as the man responsible for him. Which he does, you know, he has that conversation with him, it's just, that one's funny, because it's so awkward of Kirk being like, I don't want to be the father figure, but I kind of have to be. And because Shatner plays it perfectly, like Kirk, at this point, doesn't know he has a kid. I mean, I don't know if you really count the kid, it's in one movie, we'll, we'll get to that whole thing. Let's just go with, Kirk doesn't have kids at this point, as far as he's aware, that is the truth. So he's in no experience with children. I don't think he dislikes kids. There's nothing about Kirk that seems like he did, doesn't like kids. He just isn't good with them. He doesn't like being one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't want to be the one that's having to have the awkward conversation about why men and women are different and why you can't treat women that way. And it kind of instead of him explaining the differences like sexually or physically and why it's different, he basically sort of awkwardly gets through this conversation saying things like, it's never okay to hit a woman. Men and women are different, but... And he just keeps, he does these weird circular talks like that where he just kind of rambles and says nothing. And the kid plays it so well, the actor, like just looking utterly confused and frustrated at the same time while Kirk is just continuing to explain nothing, using a whole lot of words to this kid who doesn't understand anything. And I, I kind of, it's one of those conversations where I feel like when they're both done, 
they both have less understanding of regular society because it was just so awkward that their brains just want to be out of that room. He also, you know, not long after this, he has another, like, he's sitting with Kirk and with Spock while they're playing chess, talks about how he watched the other guys play chess back on the Antares, but he never got to play. Spock ends up beating him because Spock's brilliant at chess, and that gets him really annoyed. And Spock basically just stands up because it's Spock. He's a Vulcan. He's used to humans being irrational, so this probably doesn't even seem that unusual to him. He just says, well, very well. Because he beats him and he says, no, you didn't. It's not checkmate, like, you know, a spoiled child. And Spock, trying to be diplomatic, just stands up and says, I'll have to leave. I have work to do. And that's the end of it. And like, well, that's not the end of it. The kid comes back like five minutes later and I haven't described yet, when he uses his mental powers, he like rolls his eyes into the top of his head as far as he can go. It kind of looks like he's trying to poop really hard, the face he pulls. It's it's great. But like he does that, and then all the chess pieces like melt as if they've all been put in the microwave. They're all messed up. Yeah, which, you know, Kirk later will bring those pieces to him when he's trying to confront him about a few things, and yeah... Ultimately, the chessboard bit doesn't really mean much, but it's a fun little engagement. And it's the first time where we got to see Spock playing chess in an episode, which, you know, Spock being a bit of a chess master is a thing. That's a part of his character. The fact that he plays chess actually comes up quite a few times. Now, after this point is where things sort of go from misunderstandings and people giving him the benefit of the doubt to he basically becomes the villain very quickly with the next few events. So, the first one is on the bridge. So, there's a bit of an incident where the Antares tries to send them a message. The Antares, in case you forgot, is the ship that, at the start of the episode, is where Charlie transported off of. So, the captain and that have gone back to it. They're gone. The ship's been heading towards Colony Alpha 5 to drop Charlie off at the colony, like the original plan was. But, like I said, the Antares has sent them a message, an emergency beacon, saying that they have to warn them of, and right as they say of, Charlie walks onto the bridge, sees what's happening, does he, he sort of looks at it, and then for a moment, like, a few people turn to see Charlie come on the bridge, but they're all too concerned, like everyone's listening for what he's going to say, and then the communication cuts out, and Charlie says something, I can't remember quite what he said actually, but he says something along the lines of, that ship wasn't built very well. And they all kind of look around, because at this point, they don't know what he's talking about. And they're trying to get contact with the ship, and very quickly they realize the comm channel's down, the ship has been destroyed, the scanners pick up, that there's nothing but debris. Everyone gives Charlie a really weird look, because that's one of those moments where it's like, how did he know that the ship was destroyed before we did? And how is it possible that he could know that, you know, before it happened? So that's the first incident, but it's not enough for anyone to outright blame him for it. It's just a bit of an oddity at this point, but that's probably when a lot of characters start giving him some suspicion. Now, after that, they go down to the gym, which is an actual gym, like a proper wrestling gymnasium thing with, like, bike handles hanging out of the wall that are apparently some kind of workout equipment. But, uh, the gym mat. So Kirk, for whatever reason, decides that this kid who knows nothing of society needs to learn how to wrestle, I guess. And he's teaching him how to dodge and how to do some hand-to-hand stuff. And Charlie, he's not very good at it. He's a slow learner. And then he gets humiliated by Kirk, basically. Well, not humiliated. He tries to wrestle Kirk, and Kirk throws him to the ground. 
which is what he taught him to do. He taught him how to fall when you get thrown to the ground and how to roll if you're thrown forward. So it was all safe. He did the proper thing. It was just... He didn't take it well. He saw it as a humiliation. He immediately turned to Sam, who was the other guy in the room. I don't know what division Sam's in. He was just there. He helped Kirk show Charlie how to do a few moves. And at this point, he was sitting in the corner watching as Captain Kirk threw him over his shoulder. And he doesn't like to be laughed at. Uh, Charlie turns around and says, stop laughing at me, and then puts his eyes up in his head, and suddenly Sam disappears. See, at this point, Kirk turns, he gets security, he presses the buzzer on the wall, says he wants two officers down here immediately. And because at this point, that just confirmed any suspicions he or the crew might have had. This kid does have powers. He did know about that ship before it blew up. And this kid needs to be taken into his quarters. He needs to be put under arrest. He's dangerous. But, you know, like you would expect, the kid has powers. Security comes in. Kirk tries to tell Charlie, they're not going to hurt you. They're just going to take you back to your quarters. Don't worry. But the moment they get near him, he uses his mind powers again. The two security guards fly against the wall. One of them goes to pull out their phaser to try and, I suppose, stun him to try and contain the situation. And that causes Charlie to get even more angry. He uses his powers again to make the phaser disappear. Now, when you're watching the scene, the phaser in the security officer's hand disappears, which is, you know... Okay, that's what we expect when he's threatened to use these powers to defend himself. But then we get a communication from the bridge from Uhura, who tells Kirk all the phases on the ship just disappeared. We just did an inventory. We just, I forget exactly what she says. Like, they all disappeared. I've just done a check across the comms. They're all gone. There is no phases on the ship, Captain. Do you need me to repeat? Because obviously, if you said that to your captain on an ordinary day while he's in the gym, he's going to turn around and be like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, we found out, by the way, which was a fun fact earlier in the episode, 438 crew members are apparently on board, which I'll try and have a look a little bit later. I don't... Th yeah, there you go. On the, the Cage episodes in my notes, I wrote 203 lives, which I then put a dash possible crew number, because that was the very first mention. So apparently between the pilot and this episode, they decided that 200 people wasn't enough, and they added another 200, so now there's 400 lives aboard. So that's a fun little fact about the original Constitution class Enterprise. But anyway, now, at this point, things are looking pretty bad. But Kirk manages to basically talk him down again. He says, they will not hurt you, but I need you to go back to your quarters because I need to keep running this ship. And eventually, he backs off. But it's clear that he's not sure about backing off. He doesn't know if he should listen to Kirk. It's kind of, there's still challenge in his eyes. He's not submitting. But for now, he walks off with security and he says, I will not let them hurt me. Uh, so, yeah, he's been taken to his quarters. So now Kirk, McCoy and Spock have all, well, you know, they've gathered for a meeting to try and work out what the hell to do about this kid. And they basically determine that, yeah, like I was saying, Kirk is the only authority he seems to recognize. And even they recognize at this point that he's not going to continue to submit to that authority probably anymore at all. And uh, not long after that, he walks into the room. He gets asked directly by Captain Kirk, did you have anything to do with the destruction of the Antares? And Charlie basically says, yes. They were going to blow up anyway. They had a problem with one of their panels, but I made it disappear, which caused it to happen faster. Which, you know, 
confirms their problem, and then he says, they weren't nice to me, as if that somehow justifies killing 20 people. But at this point, it's clear they've lost control. They start having problems, like they get a call from, funny enough, the cooks, who say that uh, earlier that day, they had put meatloaf in the ovens, and now there were full turkeys in there, real turkey. Which... That, that really confused me, because I was under the impression that they already have some form of replicator. I guess it can't cook certain things. I'm not really sure why there's even, like, ovens on board when they have it. But then again, no, we have seen the replicators. We've seen the food slot, as they call it in this one. I, I don't know. I just, that, that was a weird one. Like, apparently he's replacing meat with presumably what he prefers to eat. But, like, he must be doing it with his mind. The ship also cannot change direction, can't seem to change its navigation, can't use its scanners, they can't get comm traffic. And Charlie, basically, because at this point they've gone to the bridge, because they're starting to have problems, so they headed straight up to the bridge, and then they were getting informed about one problem after another while they're up there. And Charlie comes up behind them, sort of walks onto the bridge, sits down in the captain's chair, and just sort of starts laughing and saying, well, I want to get to Colony at Alpha 5. I can't have you changing direction of the ship, Captain, because if you do that, it'll take us longer to get there. Because, you know, he's just using his power, and it's obvious he doesn't like these people. <laughs> they're all warriors. They're like, the last ship he was on had 20 people on board. Seems like he just destroyed it. Doesn't care less. I think Kirk's pretty spot on when he says, you know, we're in danger. The moment we get to Colony 5, he's going to go down, and then he's just going to destroy us the way he did the Antares. There is a bit of an amusing scene here where Spock is forced to speak through poetry and he calls up, because when this starts, he calls Dr. McCoy because one of the panels, the one Uhura is using, electric shock comes through, hits Uhura's hands and gives her a pretty severe burn. You know, she starts saying, I checked that panel myself, that shouldn't have had to happen, but it's obvious it's Charlie. Charlie's just punishing them for trying to do things. You know, but Spock starts calling up Dr. McCoy, and then he starts talking in poetry. And a few moments later in this scene, Dr. McCoy shows up on the bridge, and he says, Spock called me. He said there was a problem with Uhura, and then he started quoting really bad poetry at me. Which is just... It's such a McCoy thing to come on the bridge in the middle of a crisis and still have a moment of sarcasm and a jab at, uh, at Spock. Just no matter what's happening, he, he has to get it in. That's just how he is. But at this point, they're getting desperate, and Kirk, Kirk and Bones and Spock come up with an idea in the moment that they suspect his powers are limited. He can't, because he's controlling the whole ship right now. We've seen him up until now do little things. He can affect people's behaviours, make them disappear, but it's all small scale. He hasn't done anything big yet. Like, right now he's running the entire ship. And they come up with the theory that they think he can't stretch his powers much further. So they start going through all the control panels on the bridge and just lighting everything up. Every system on the ship gets booted up, things change. Just to make him forced to stretch himself out to try and continue to control all these things to make sure they're not trying to hurt him with them. Which, as they suspected, works. Kirk is eventually able to get to him. At first he gets hurt, but he doesn't seem to have enough power while he's controlling the ship to actually make Kirk disappear. All he can do is throw him to the ground and hurt him. And then he can't even do that because Uhura and everyone else starts pressing panels too. Seeing what's happening, they immediately jump to action because, you know, they're a good crew. And it works. The kid's powers are overstretched. 
Eventually, they get a comm channel through, and that's when even Charlie stops resisting, that shows a... What was their name? Thassian. It's a Thassian ship. They get a comm from a Thassian ship coming up behind them. They manage to slow down the ship. They manage to stop it. The Thassian ship catches up, and then we get what is some pretty bad CGI. Although, it's probably not even CGI. I'm not even sure how they did this. But it's like a 3D screen comes up. Well, not a 3D screen. How, how do I describe it? It's like they see a transparent, flat image of an old man shows up in the bridge, and it's all green. Like, this this image has no color but green. Different shades of green to make an old man's face. And it appears on the bridge, and we're sort of given to believe that this is the Thalassians. Now, we see their ship... It gets put up on the screen, like the image screen, so that you see this picture of what just looks like a glowing green light ship. I'm not sure, because of the few things that get said in a moment about them from Charlie, it seems like they're not actually a corporeal being, or like a physical being. It seems like their ship was more made up of energy, and the being that came aboard seemed to be made of energy too. He didn't talent transport in or anything, he seemed to just appear like he was a hologram. But he appeared, and Charlie starts freaking out, but there's nothing he can do. Because his powers are being suppressed now by the Thalassians, now that they're here. And the Thalassian basically says, we're sorry, there's nothing we could do about the other ship. We didn't realize he had escaped until it was too late. By the time we came after him and found his trail, it was too late, there was nothing we could do for that ship. But, and as he says that, all the crew start appearing back on the ship that he had been making disappear, including Yeoman, um, Yeoman Rand, I don't know why I forgot her name there, who he had made disappear a little bit earlier with a kind of creepy scene where he almost tried to assault her, and she rejected him and slapped him, and then he, out of anger, made her disappear. But anyway, the Thalassian brings her back, brings them all back, basically reverses all the damage he did on this ship, and says, we're sorry. We have to take him back with us. And at this point, you almost start to feel sorry for Charlie because he sort of says, they're not like you. Don't make me go back with them. They don't feel. They don't understand love. And what else does he say about them? He says something along the lines of they can't even feel. Like I, The way he says it makes me feel like they're beings of energy or light or something. Like They can't even physically touch. Like I feel like he is basically alone. He's the only humanoid solid person. Which sucks. Like Obviously they've trained him, either trained him or granted him some of their powers to help him get by in their atmosphere and society, but it seems like he's pretty isolated. Like He hasn't learned much social ways or anything, so obviously he's not talking to a lot of people. He's not very busy with them. He freaks out, and he's almost crying. Like He's almost like a little boy again at this point that's like scared. He's being ripped away from any happiness he was starting to have, and you can't help but feel bad for him as he gets sent away. But as the Thalassians say, there's nothing we can do. There's no other option. His powers can't be taken away. He, no matter how much you try and train him, he will use his powers. It is a part of him. He can't not use them. And when he uses them, he may damage or even destroy your society. For his, and force you, and as they say, you know, if he does that, you may be forced to destroy him to protect yourself, or he will destroy you. He says, no, for your safety and for his, I have to take him away. Which is what leads to the whole crying scene, because Kirk does sort of try and stand up for him. 
Even though he doesn't want to, he obviously doesn't like Charlie. Kirk still sort of, isn't there anything we can do? He belongs with his people. We could work with him. Our doctors could help him. But no, no, there's nothing you can do. He has to be taken. And yeah, I kind of like that though, because he is kind of a tragic villain. Like he's not really a villain. He's more of an alien entity that we've come in contact with. But the saddest part is he's a human. He was a human baby boy that got turned into this. And it kind of surprised me, actually, watching this. I I actually kind of forgot about this episode. It makes me wonder, like, I'm going to look up after this whether the Thalassians ever come up again. I don't remember them or recall them ever coming up again, but I'm going to look them up because I'd be interested if they get referenced in any other episodes. Like, they seem like a pretty powerful species as well. Some kind of energy beings with strong telepathy. And also, I find it hard to believe that the entire Federation is just okay with this human child being abducted, basically, by these aliens now. Like, I get Kirk and they didn't really have the power to stop it, even if they had wanted to, right there. And they didn't have any answers, really. Like, it is too dangerous right now. Charlie proved in this episode he can't be trusted in our society yet. But I feel like in the whole Federation, surely there's some Vulcan people that are great with telepathy. Surely there's some other species that could help. But then again, at this point in original Trek, the Federation is more of a word that gets thrown out and less of an actual idea that anyone seems to have solidly put together. We will get it. There are episodes that I can remember. I don't know when, but there are episodes in this series, the original series, that do a lot to solidify and give us what the Federation is later on. But I think... That's mostly it. Like, other than that, I'm just looking at my notes. Like, I, I sort of mentioned all the fun facts and little bits that I wrote down when I was watching it. The only thing I didn't bring up was at the start of the episode, well, I sort of brought it up, when Kirk and McCoy were going back and forth. It's the sort of the first time we see it on screen, but this is a real thing between McCoy and Spock. They always have to argue. Spock will always bring up the emotional thing. Are you thinking as a scientist or are you thinking as an emotional, irrational human? And Spock will always, um, Spock, McCoy will always bring up something about how he's green-blooded or how he just doesn't understand humans or life because he's a cold Vulcan or something like that. It's just, these arguments happen all the time and this, because it's only episode three, I think this is actually the very first one we got where both of their characters are now being fleshed out a little bit more and they're beginning to interact with each other in more organic ways and we get to see that on screen. And you will continue to see that. I just thought it was cool. I think this might be the very first time we see it. But anyway, thank you for listening. And I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye for now.